Hello there, and welcome to the Comic Book Tesseract, the only comic snapcast that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I'm Jason Polia. Join us as we review and preview the world of comics, along with other facets of geek sheet culture. Unfortunately, my co-host Justin is unable to make it. Tonight he's feeling a bit under the weather, has a scratchy throat, and we wouldn't want to put him out by making him talk too much. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, we've got a lot of books, because we've got almost three weeks worth of books. Uh, books that just came out, I'm going to give you some highlights of what you should look for. Uh, and I'm going to go over, give some quick reviews of some books that have come out over the past two weeks. Uh, so you know what to get when you head over to your comic shop. Know what to check for for things you haven't, you may not have seen or known about. And then we got a whole bunch of news. A lot of exciting stuff going on. So we're going to jump right into it uh, with Batman Beyond Unlimited. Now, this is the end of the Superman story. There's been three stories or so in each issue, which has made this a great buy. Um, so, particularly if you were a fan of the Batman Beyond cartoon series, this is worth it if you read the original DC comic run of Batman Beyond. This has been worth it. Um, they're starting going to be starting a new story of the three stories that are going on. The new A new third story will be beginning. Um, they've kind of alternated which one's been highlighted. And this last issue was the Superman arc that they were just finishing. Um, a lot of real cool stuff. They get to expand the universe and play around with it. And you get three stories in this, which makes it a real good buy. So highly recommend picking up the uh, Batman Beyond Unlimited from DC. Uh, next, we're going to go ahead and talk about Dan the Unharmable. This is another, this is a book that's starting its uh, new, new arc. It's issue seven. Uh, that it starts this new arc on. Uh, Dan is a hippie that wants nothing more than to lay about on the beach listening to his CD on repeat. Unfortunately, he's found what appears to be his daughter, or possibly his daughter, they're trying to figure that out, and has to save his daughters and, or, you know, whoever they are from, uh, some, uh, uh, religious cult. That's the first arc. Now he's saved them, and he wants to just go back to lying on the beach and listening to his music and being in his relaxing mind, and he can't, because there's more stuff going on in here. I don't want to get too far into actual details of it, but Issue 7 begins the new arc. It's worth picking up. Yeah, Jump on in at Issue 7. Uh, by the way, this is not for kids. It is graphic. It is gory. It has foul language. So if you don't like that shit, Sorry, you're not going to enjoy, you're probably not going to be able to enjoy Dan the Unharmable, uh, but it's, it's well written, it's got a great funny undertone, because he just wants, hey man, leave me alone, don't hit me, you're not going to like the results, I told you, so, really worth it, Dan the Unharmable, yeah. coming up next is another story that's kind of trippy and whacked out, and that's Grant Morrison and Derek Ro Roberson Robertson's Happy. This is an interesting book. They had a big twist. This is issue 204. Big twist at the end of the first book, which revealed how the name came about. And it, it stays in that vein. Now, this book also is not for children. Lots of swearing. Plenty of violence. Not as much gore as in Dan the Unhorrible, but certainly uh, has lots of gang murder violence. Yeah. Very typical mafia-esque story. Lots of swearing. And it's kind of a change for Morrison, who you're used to, who I'm used to reading in a sanitized DC universe. Yeah, whether he's writing Batman, Superman, 
Yeah. Here he's able to cut free, you know, be a bit looser with it because it's a, a standalone title that's in his own universe. And it's got a nice little demented side to it. Uh, there is some humor as uh, the character tries to deal with uh, the, the quirk that's popped up. Um, and it, it has fun playing with that quirk through most of this. And if it wasn't a four-issue miniseries, this would almost be a waste of an issue, but it does so well in explaining the quirk and showing you the aspects of the quirk. It, it was worth taking this side road. And being that it's a four-issue mini, I, I think it was definitely worth it. See if you can track out the first issue, pick up the second one, and you're around next, next month for the third issue. Another one I want to highlight, again, an independent comic, is Creator-Owned Heroes. Creator-Owned Heroes is an anti- arguably an anthology book and a magazine altogether. It contains two stories. Actually, this issue actually has three. It's got a single, uh, a small short by Darwin Cook. It's got a uh, title story by uh, Niles, Russell, and Richie. And then Palmiati and Gray have their own backup story in here as well. So you get three different stories from huge creative teams. Plus there are interviews with creators and art articles by the creators about what to think about when you're creating comics, what it's like getting into the business, you know, what the industry has been like for them as they've entered into the, into comics, how it's changed. It really gives you a behind the scenes look. So I recommend it, you know, for the price, you're getting two, three stories and it used to be two now, and now it's three. You know, 48 pages of comics, articles, interviews, and more. So, really is one of the best deals for your money that you're going to get on the store shelves. Uh, Creator-owned heroes. A wonderful book. Uh, Palmiati put that project together. And it's, it's really been worth it. Uh, it's been out for about two weeks now. As has everything else I've heard so far. So, definitely worth picking that out. Um, also, I did it on Legends of Dark Knight DC Comics for a while. This is, is an interesting series. It's uh, the interesting part of it is why I love it, and that's the fact that they're letting creators tell stories that they want with Batman. They're not restricting themselves to continuity. They're not restricting themselves to the New Fifty Two. These can take place anytime, any place, with any incarnation. It's the artist's idea of Batman, and that's why they're legends. A legend is a story about somebody who was that may or may not have happened. That's taking the press in Israel. These are stories that may or may not have happened about it. But the first issue you had, three or four stories, it was four stories, uh, Featuring different creators all writing their own little case. So one story would be one time in Batman's career, another story in an entirely different way. Uh, this issue actually gave an entire one-shot story. So it's nice to see a one-shot. And I like what they've been doing with it so far. Hopefully, Legends of the Dark Knight keeps it up because it's just a great way to experience the character to see different interpretations of the character, which is really becoming harder as DC has been locking in. And their continuity to a very set finite uh, timeline. Uh, so it's nice to see some of these other things pop in and out. Uh, so, uh, Legend of the Dark Knight, Dark Knight, love the title so far. Two issues are out. 
You can probably find the first one. I pick a second one from last week. Also, I have a whole bunch of number ones in the shelves. So we're going to go through those. First one is actually a single issue anthology collection. And it's actually part of the Elite Comic Arts Festival for the Thought Bubble Festival. And it's actually a fold-out, double-sized. These are pages that are twice as tall as the normal book is wide. And it's twice as wide as the book is tall. So basically folded it in half fitness and you're standing around the book see it. But a huge, big, almost like reading a newspaper when you open it up and read it. Different creators all donated their time and effort to create the stories in here. All are telling personal little stories. Some are humorous, some are insightful. It's just great to see creators showing what can be done with this medium, how diverse it can be. So, um, if you're not going to be able to make the festival, which was the 11th through the 18th of November in England, uh, sorry, you're not, I guess by the time this is coming out, you're definitely going to have missed it. But it might be something that you can check your, at your local shop to see if they have. Because it's got some interesting reads. Uh, it's definitely Definitely not a must-have, but if you love the art of comic books, if you love the medium and want to celebrate that, it's, it's a perfect example of a book for that. Uh, next book I'm going to talk about is a true independent comic. It's from Con Artist uh, Media, um, or Con Artist Entertainment. You can actually find them on the web at conartistentertainment.com. Uh, these are some local artists. Uh, it's been avail- they've sold these at cons that they've gone to, and uh, they've also opened it up for our local shop, Heroes Haven Comics. You can find them at heroeshavencomics.com, and they have issues. So if you contact the store, I'm sure they'd be willing to sell you a comic. So uh, just get a hold of them. Um, you can probably get a hold of Con Artist Entertainment through their website, conartistentertainment.com. Uh, this book is called Joshua Black, The Hierarchy of Christ. And the art was good. I couldn't get into the story. And yeah, it, it could be the religious overtones, as you can probably tell from the hierarchy of Christ. You know, there, there's definitely some religious overtones. The main character is close to your everyman. You can't, I can't say the everyman because he has an abusive father, and most of us don't have an abusive father. And, but he's just living this life. He's trying to you know, keep himself composed. Spend his time with his friends and stay as spend as little time at home as possible because he's got a bad home life. He's got your typical teenage high school fears and weights and angst coming down on him. And most of the book is all about that. There, and there is no real hook. They didn't have anything to dig in to pull me into going. Okay, they they tried that at the very end at the very end to have a big change, but it just wasn't enough of a hook. It didn't really pull me in. But if you like supporting local artists, if you like finding those gems, you know, this is the type of book that these guys may in five, ten years be working on your favorite title from Marvel or DC and be huge, you know, stars. It's hard to tell, you know, from a first work, but if you like to pick up those early works of people because you never know where they're going to go, if you like supporting local artists, uh, it certainly is worth checking out. That's Joshua Black, The Hierarchy of Christ. Uh, it, it definitely is pointing to the fact that he is a descendant of Christ, or at least 
the heir to Christ's role on Earth. And they, they allude to that at a couple of points, but it, it just wasn't enough to pull me and grab me in. Uh, especially with a whole bunch of other new titles that had come out that same week when I picked it up. It, it really, you know, that probably hurt its chances a little bit from standing out, because uh, I do have a lot of other number ones I'm going to talk about right now. I'm uh, going to go ahead and move on to uh, the big dog of the new titles, and that's going to be Shadow Man from Valiant. If you like that New Orleans voodoo horror genre, this will probably slide right in there. It's a New Orleans voodoo superhero horror story. And it, it definitely is an origin story. It's off to a pretty good start. I don't think it's the strongest start of any of the Valiants, but it certainly is solid. It, it's well-written, wonderful art. It seems to relate the story of the original Shadow Man, you know, fairly well-reinterpreted for the modern age. It is the original character, um, so they're not doing a continuation of the original story. This is a brand-new beginning in our... Uh, so, some interesting stuff going on here uh, as they try and build it in. It certainly is much of a setup issue. So, uh, if you've been liking Valiance, and if you haven't picked up anything from Valiance since the relaunch, certainly could do worse than pick up Shadow Man number one. Okay. Colder. This is another horror comic that's out. Uh, another number one. This one is rather interesting. That's from Dark Horse and uh, Hulk Tubin and Juan Ferreira are the creative team behind this. And, and I'm trying to figure out a way of telling this story without giving too much away. But, but part of it is about a patient who was in an asylum when he was visited by, I'm going to call it an imp, which happens to look like a standard human. Uh, but when the imp comes, he's able to whisper things into the heads of people and make them step off the ledge of sanity and do things that they would never quite do before. And to some extent, he can be annual for instance, one character or a bell. I'm not going to tell you where that goes. Some of you may have an idea of where the same person might use it all for. Others may not. That's the beginning of the book, so I'm not really ruining anything for you to go through. Uh, but he also whispers a suggestion to the ear of one of the patients to be colder. And then the story picks up years later as the end returns back to the scene, and we see the patient who has, he was told to be colder, uh, who has basically been an invalid since then. And we find out the story that's happened to him, and the big shock when he steps out of his being an invalid. I'm sorry, I kind of take that shock away, but I think most of you would have seen it coming reading the book. Uh, it certainly is an interesting premise. It's different from most of the other books that I've seen. If you have a horror itch that you need scratched, this may be the book to do it. Uh, it's Dark Horse. It's, it's an interesting, different concept. and I, That's one of the things that I like is you can get a lot of these interesting, different concepts from some smaller creators. Another one of those smaller creators... Uh, coming off of uh, Boom Studios, is Freelancers. Freelancers is similar to what I think Charlie's Angels would be if they were uh, orphans that grew up together 
in a kung fu dojo. That's the basic premise. There's only two of them instead of three, but it's two girls. They grew up together in an orphanage. They learned kung fu, and now they have an agent who gets them jobs as freelancers, which basically they are hired by the 1% of the 1% to do the not-so-nice work that sometimes needs to be done, whether it's retrieving exotic animals, as they do at the beginning of this issue, or who knows what other jobs they'll be required to take on. But while they work for the richest of the rich, they uh, haven't made a name for themselves yet, so they're living like the poorest of the poor. And, yeah, at one point, one of them jokes, uh, remind me to pick up some ramen. So... It's an interesting dichotomy. It's certainly kind of a story we've seen to some extent before. As I said, it's kind of got a Charlie's Angels feel a little bit to me. But I enjoyed the story. It'll be worth following for me, at least, for the next couple of issues. So, yeah, certainly as a number one, plus it's a dollar. So at a dollar, you know, for a comic book right now, you really can't go wrong. To pick up a book just to get yourself interested, wet, wet your nose, wet, yeah, get a little taste. Okay, another number one. Yeah, I told you I got a lot of number ones that have come out. Uh, gonna talk about Storm Dogs, David Hine, Doug Braithwaite, and Ulysses Aredla, Ariola. Yeah, Ulysses Ariola. We'll go with that. Um, it sounds fun. Uh, Storm Dogs. This is from Image and. This is somewhere between a sci-fi space opera and a murder-slash-political mystery. The Storm Dogs are a team of investigators from the central government of planets that have come down to this backwater planet. It kind of reminds me of Firefly in that way, if you remember that old TV show. Sure, many of you do with the fan following that that show has for it, with its brown coats. But it's this is definitely not a western. This is a standard sci-fi space opera uh, where they head down to this backwoods town, and you know, there's local flora and fauna that they talk about. They kind of establish the harsh world that they're in, where when it a storm comes in, it's not typical rain. It'll actually turn human beings completely to mush. So humans have to head inside. And those that head out during the storm are called storm dogs. That's where they get the title from. And realizing what they're going to have to do to solve their case on on why they're on this planet, they decide that they need to head out during the storm and get their, and get the team its nickname. I love some of the character development that they've done in this. Uh, That they've started to show you who these characters are and what their job does of traipsing through the universe solving crimes has done to their personal relationships and how it stresses them out with having a significant other on another planet and when are they coming home or how are they going to be able to have a relationship. One of the things that they actually point out on here is just like the prime directive from Star Trek, you don't interfere with other uh, planets and races. They have technology categories and based on the technology that's on a planet, you can't bring anything higher. So they actually have to sign off of uh, basically disconnect from the internet. It's kind of like if you had to take your cell phone, throw it out the window, turn your computers all off, and then go through a day. It'd be a very different experience than what we're used to, and 
they're even more integrated into their world. Um, so there's a lot of nice little, you know, tweaks and small little elements to this story that have made it really good uh, between character development, world development. It'll be interesting to see this plot develop. It seems like this is going to be a uh, miniseries based on the setup of here's the crime that we're here to solve. However, they could take this and do it as each individual arc is a different story, is a different uh, planet. It could be that there's an overarching political event or you know, you know, the world government going on behind the scenes that the Storm Dogs eventually become aware of and have to go after. Some interesting ways that this could go and probably one of the highest uh, recommended number ones that I read this week. Uh, so that's Storm Dogs. Uh, the last two number ones are actually based on uh, true stories. Uh, first one is the next, uh, the first issue in the next installment of Garth Ennis's Battlefields. Uh, this is the Greenfields Beyond. Now, for those not familiar with the Battlefields uh, miniseries that Garth Ennis has been doing, he takes a true event from uh, the, from the past wars. I believe World War II is where most of the focus is. And he tells the story of an event that happened during that war. Um, he's um, so he's just kind of created these characters, and it's a fictional telling, but it's of an actual event and how he envisions, based on the historical record, what happened. So uh, Garth Ennis, great writer, and this was fun to read if you like military stuff. Uh, Battlefields are going to be some of the best books you can get. Uh, the previous books are available as trades, and usually they're five to, to six issues each. So you can go pick up the trade and have the whole story right there. Um, you're not going to have to, you don't have to pick up any previous battlefields to understand or read it. Just find the store, find one of the story arcs and read it. Um, again, you know, Ennis is an amazing writer, um, one of the most highly acclaimed writers uh, in comics today. And lastly is 47 Ronin. This is based on the myth of the, the mythical story of the 47 Ronin. Actually, I should say legend because uh, myths are stories of fictitious people doing fictitious things. Legends are stories of real people doing what are probably fictitious things. And 47 Ronin, the samurai story of the samurai who had their master dishonored and rather than committing seppuku, as uh, some would say would be required, they did what others feel is the, and why the story is continues to re, continues to be retold, is the epitome of honor, in that they took their time, they plotted their revenge, and eventually uh, destroyed the person who destroy, who killed their master. So, uh, this has been, uh, based on the information at the back of the book, it sounds like Mike Richards did a lot of research in trying to get an honest depiction of the story that he was writing, um, even though, of course, it is a fictionalized account, he tried to listen to as many of the different legends and tellings of this as he could to piece together what he thinks may actually have happened. And it's got wonderful artwork by Stan Sakai. Uh, Stan Sakai, I got to know him when he was working as, uh, I believe, doing letters for Vru the Wanderer uh, from Sergio Aragon's. And uh, he's since, uh, while he was working on that, 
uh, and continuously has been working on Usagi Yojimbo, the samurai rabbit. And so, uh, when Mike Richardson was uh, putting together this project, he uh, was trying to figure out who knew about Japanese and could be faithful to the culture as well as draw some amazing samurai fighting scenes and you know be accurate to how the samurais dressed and moved and wore. And uh, Stan Sakai came, came up and goes, that's perfect. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of Stan's work. Um, I haven't read as much of Usagi Yojimbo as I would like to. And this is just a wonderful story. So if you like the uh, the samurai genre, if you want to just get that historical tale told in a comic form, uh, 47 Ronin. The first issue came out last week, so they should have a pretty easy time getting your shop to order it if they don't have any in stock. Uh, so that's it for the number one issues that, I, that I've had this week. Um, again, I told you I had a lot of them. Uh, so, yeah. again, uh, 47 Ronin, Battlefields, and Storm Dogs are probably my top three. Uh, after that, I would go for uh, Colder and Shadow Man and Freelancers. Uh, yeah. Probably in pretty close to that order, if I, if I had to rank them. Uh, maybe not quite, but uh, certainly uh, those are all worth uh, checking out. Especially with Freelancers being a dollar, it's certainly worth it. Uh, for this past Wednesday, the 14th, I had a number of books I picked up. Some of the ones I'm most looking forward to, Peter Panzerfaust. This is a retelling of Peter Pan in World War II. Uh, we mentioned that the BBC was interested in potentially doing a show on it because it takes place in the World War II France. They can have it historical as well as have the Peter Pan story to make the fun side of it. Has been excellent. Um, they're just starting their second arc. This is the second issue in the arc. And highly recommend picking up Peter Panzerfaust. They should have the first trade out soon if it's not already out. And see if you can pick up the most recent issues. Because uh, it's, it's definitely worth it. It's one of the books that I'm absolutely looking forward to every month. Uh, another one of those books is Think Tank. Think Tank is definitely a book for people that want to think about their comics. For people that love technology, want to see technology in creative and innovative ways, and that's what this book does. It takes actual real-world technology. Maybe actually there's a section at the back of the book where he talks about the different technologies that he uses throughout the book, where you can find out more on them. Yeah, so, he's, he's done a wonderful job with this. It started off, and I know Justin and I have said it before, of being a Kind of a real genius if you've got a smart ass who's tired of working for the people that are his, his masters and enslaved in the land and the tasks that they want him to do. He just wants to have fun and create really cool technical windows. He certainly doesn't want him to be used for war. Unfortunately, he's working for the military and doing that. So you get that frank, you know, smart ass team, actually, early 20s probably, prankster. You know, fighting against the system that he's stuck in. It's made for a fun comic so far, and I'm looking forward to more of it. Saga. Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn in yet another epic, epic story. I'm looking forward to see where this thing goes every time I pick it up, because I just don't know where it can go. It's had some real interesting uh, plot developments, some interesting characters. 
Yeah. You've got guys with TVs for heads. There are, you know, goat people with horns. There are little uh, pixie angels. And it's there's a civil war between the moon and the planet. Magic versus technology. Lots of different themes going on. Morality. Yeah. You've got a bounty hunter with a sense of morality that does so much jam-packed in this. And yeah, Brian doesn't just kind of go, oh, it's kind of got an idea. Let's see where it meanders. He puts it down and he refines it. And there's going to be things that are going to be picked up later on that are just kind of mentioned at the beginning that flower, blossom, and all meld together in this well-thought-out story that's told over however many issues to make this just a great space saga. It's got elements of magic. It's got elements of space. Similar to Star Wars, because it's, it's, the Force is kind of magical, and you've got spaceships and blasters. So it it, it definitely is more, uh, not quite as uh, blastery, but there certainly are guns, and yeah, there are weapons. They're, they're just actually hiding away from where those where the armed people are right now. Uh, there's even a ghost in here. So, so much stuff going on. It's dense, um, and... It, it's definitely worth the read, particularly if you like thinking about your comics. I know Justin's going to be excited this week because Phantom Stranger has come out. He's been loving the character. Uh, they're reintroducing him. There's been some changes to him with the new 52. Um, and this is just issue two. So you actually have a chance. You can get the zero issue and the first issue probably from your comic shop. Phantom Stranger number two. I know Justin's looking forward to that one. Point of Impact, this is part two of a four-issue mini. It's a noir thriller, black-and-white comic. And you know, if, if you're a fan of hard-boiled, like The Lady in the Lake, if you like DeShiel uh, Hammett and the Maltese Falcon stories, uh, Philip Marlowe, th- this is going to be a comic for you. Point of Impact uh, by Faber. So it, it's a four-issue mini. This is issue number two. You could probably still get them to order is- issue number one. Um, so if you like Noir, it's worth it. Uh, from one of the big boys, we got Anakami Girls uh, featuring Batgirl. Uh, Anakami Girls was a line of DC statues that they put out of the DC women in an anime style. Uh, they decided uh, to actually write comic series based on these statues, um, which they're, they're actually, since the characters are based on the DC characters, they're not changing that too much that they actually have uh, an actual mythology and you know, we know who these characters are. They're, they're not just going, oh, here's a toy, let's write a backstory for it like they were doing with G.I. Joe and Transformers in the 80s. They actually have uh, some thought behind it. It's, it's Graham Palmiotti, who I love as a team. The first issue featured Wonder Woman. This issue is featuring Batgirl. These are originally released online and then collected into comics to sell at the stores. So this is the second issue. They're much further ahead on the online stuff. So you're, of course, able to go and get these online if you prefer reading your comics online. Uh, but it's neat. To, it's, I'm glad to see that they're putting these together because uh, I enjoyed the first one. There definitely were some changes from standard canon, but for the most part, the characters are who they are from the traditional canon that we're used to. Uh, and lastly... We've got four titles that take place in the Batman Death of Death of the Family crossover. This is the Return of Joker crossover, uh, which is a playoff of the Death in the Family, where Joker killed Robin. Now he's back to take his revenge 
on Gotham, on Batman, and all of his little cronies. Because, well, Batman shouldn't need the help that he's got. So, uh, this week, Batman and Robin has come out and deals with the Joker. Suicide Squad, Harley has to deal with the Joker. Uh, Batgirl, this is going to be Barbara versus Mr. J. Uh, first time post-killing joke that they're actually dealing with each other. Uh, so that should be happening in this issue of Batgirl. And Batman, Snyder, Capullo, enough said. Uh, this is Snyder's baby. He's the one that came up with the concept for the, and has been writing the main arc of this story. So you got four titles from the Death in the Family crossover. Batman and Robin, Suicide Squad, Batgirl, and Batman. And those should all be really good. Uh, the other one that has come out, that came out last week, uh, that deserves a mention is Action Comics number 14. Uh, and the reason is not so much for the story, which was okay, but more importantly, they actually tied Superman to hard factual science. They got in touch with Neil deGrasse Tyson, the head of the Hayden Planetarium at the Natural History Museum, and he helped them, uh, to locate the actual real star in our universe, LHS 2520. It's a red dwarf star. It's 27.1 light years from Earth. And they've used that to say this is the star that Superman's planet of Krypton revolved around before it was destroyed. And uh, they actually use this. They actually wind up giving Superman an actual age because he... He traveled through a wormhole to arrive here faster than the light from the star. He's been on Earth 27 years, and in, in this backup story to Action Comics called Starlight, Star Bright, uh, he actually goes to the planetarium where Neil deGrasse Tyson has a cameo in the comic book and is able to watch the light from Krypton blink out. So we get the, so we now know Superman is 27 years old. Because that's how long it takes. Because 27.1 light years from Earth, that's how long it takes for the light to get here. Simple. Alright. Uh, if you are interested, if you're an astronomer and you're interested in seeing this, the coordinates, which are also given in the book, are right ascension, 12 hours, 10 minutes, 5.77 seconds. Declination, minus 15 degrees, 4 minutes, 17.9 seconds. Proper motion, 0.76 arc seconds per year along 172.94 degrees due north. This story has made a lot of media coverage. Scientific American covered it. New York Times, I believe, had a story on this. And, hey, if you're a fan of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who went to James Cameron and said, hey, look, you did all this detail to get Titanic right, but you screwed up the sky, and had and Cameron actually came back to him when they did the update for the 3D version of Titanic they just released, and had Neil deGrasse Tyson sh get him a star map of what the sky should actually have looked like on that night. Uh, yeah. So, Tyson loves doing this stuff. He loves getting astronomy out there in real world and pop culture. So, uh, it, it's great. Uh, I know DC has said that they love that they've tied it to something real. It's not just oh, a star way out there. Yeah, we've got an actual element, although it's not the same as the one uh, at Krypton. The actual element is not the same as Krypton from Krypton, or Kryptonite from Krypton. So, uh, lots of interesting stuff uh, to tie Superman back into the reality of the world. 
Uh, DC's also announced a couple of new series. They've previously announced the Justice League of America series, and they just announced that when it comes out, there will be 52 variants. Yes, that magical 52 number, there's 52 variants, and not one of them's really going to be worth it. The traditional cover is going to be the members of the Justice League planting the flag, uh, the famous picture of the Marines and the one Navy corpsman who were planting the flag up on top of Iwo Jima. Uh, it's going to be the American flag on the standard cover with the Justice League planting it up there. And they're going to be uh, subbing out uh, the state flags and uh, a couple of the U.S. Uh, territories to create all 52. And it's all the same except for the flag. And I can't really say I'm that pleased with the way that the flag is presented in any of the versions. Uh, it's a cheap Photoshop swap out. Some people, hey, if you're a completionist, they will be, check with your comic shop. They'll be selling an actual set of all 52 bundled together for you. Otherwise, you know, you might get some of your, you know, if you get a state that you're from, your home state, uh, if, if it's worth it to you, fine. Uh, but DC has also announced that Vibe and Katana will be getting their own series that's two new leading women. Women in the DC Universe each getting their own series. Uh, both are spinning off of the Justice League of America book. Uh, so they'll be, have their own solo titles as well as being in Justice League of America. And DC also did something which has probably upset a number of fans. They have announced the cancellation of Hellblazer. Its final issue will be issue 300. Hellblazer is currently the longest running DC Vertigo title uh, with issue 300. And they're canceling that. But have no fear because they're taking their adult-aimed Hellblazer and shifting it into the much more family-friendly, although not young-child-friendly, DC Universe, and it will be releasing Constantine as its own solo title. Uh, you're still going to have uh, John Constantine as a character. If you like following me in Hellblazer, you're welcome to pick up Constantine. I suspect there's going to be a significant change in tone of the book now that he's in the standard DC-52 continuity. Uh, I don't know how well fans are going to like that. But uh, DC has announced as well, and hey, look, DC are doing a pretty good job with their publicity. I'm sorry I haven't heard too much on the Marvel front on a whole bunch of new stuff. Marvel does have a lot of new stuff coming out. Uh, the Indestructible Hulk number one is coming out real soon as part of the Marvel Now initiative. Marvel's got a whole lot of stuff that they're rebooting or shifting the focus on. Captain America number one is coming out soon. Um, like I said, Hulk. Um, they've got a new Deadpool series. Um, so trying to not just focus on DC, but they do have a wonderful way, particularly with the 52, that they can go, oh, but here, here's the new four. Here's the four we're canceling. Here's the new four. Uh, makes it real easy um, versus Marvel's bit more scattershot of what's ending, what's coming out. Um, and I tend to prefer DC. Sorry about that. Uh, but DC is also making their digital lineups in full available on Nook, the iBook Store, and on Kindle. So now you have on all three of your favorite platforms, unless you happen to prefer Google Play. Eh. I prefer paper. Uh, I have yet to find... Yeah, except for the full-size iPad, possibly the 10-inch, uh, new, the new Nexus 10. Uh, that might be worthwhile reading comics on. I just don't know that I want something that big as a digital device. 
just worried that eventually you're going to outgrow, you know, a book you can always pick up and read. It's always going to be there. As technology grows and they find different and better formats, one day you might not be able to read some legacy formats. And, you know, why are you collecting something if you're not going to be able to go back and check it out all the time? Doesn't mean it will happen. I just know, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of 3x5 discs that don't fit any computers anymore because nobody uses 3x5s. I got a whole bunch of CDs that are next to worthless because most people don't, because most of my computers don't have CD drives anymore. You know, things become less and less available. You know, there are formats, you know, wave format used to be very popular. Now there's very few things that are able to read wave. You know, I couldn't find a device, something to read a wave natively on an Android phone. Um, now, th there's always ways around it, but how much work do you want it to put into keeping the digital stuff? Just saying, I like physical. Uh, and for something physical that you get your ha hands on, we talked a while ago about Calvin and Hobbes having an original piece of artwork going up for auction. It's expected to sell for $125,000. And some people are saying they think that uh, Watterson is actually going to auction to buy it back himself so that it's not out there so that he has the money. Um, back to the digital front, Diamond Digital is actually going to be releasing Cerebus High Society. This is a new collection of the Cerebus comics. Um, one of the best-selling independent books of all time as far as comics go. Uh, so it, it's great to hear that Diamond's going to be you know, releasing that, making that available because the more places books like that are available, the better it is for them, the better it is for the comic market in general. I think the better in individual you know, smaller titles do, it raises up the market for everybody else and puts less pressure on Marvel and DC to have to just focus on making money that they could sometimes, that it'll allow them to spread out and be a bit more experimental with their stuff sometimes. Uh, it makes it easier if there's a strong industry behind them to do that. Uh, the Goon had a Kickstarter campaign because they wanted to do a movie. Goon is another independent comic still going on. Um, another you know, real popular independent. Uh, they had a Kickstarter to create a full-length animated movie. They have met their goal. So uh, there will be, uh, provided that they're able to get their ducks in a row, they have, they have gotten the funding that they needed to make the Goon animated movie. So hopefully we'll be seeing that on movie screens across the country. And a title that I know Justin and I both really enjoyed has a new uh, Kickstarter campaign out right now. Carbon Gray. We talked about this before. It's a very uh, detailed digital art style steampunky revolution. Uh, not quite post-apocalyptic, uh, but certainly uh, futuristic yeah, steampunk style comic uh, Carbon Gray, they're doing their next story arc on Kickstarter. So, uh, uh, one of the prize levels, you know, that you can buy in, you get the first issue signed by the entire creative team. Um, so they got some interesting, uh, rewards out there for you if you want to join in. So, uh, Carbon Gray, uh, certainly, uh, if, if you like doing Kickstarter, you like supporting things, uh, Carbon Gray, I think, is one of them. Uh, see if you get your store to get you the trade of the previous Carbon Gray works. It's certainly worth checking out. All right, in the we've already heard this, but it keeps coming back department. Uh, DC is appealing to Siegel Estate's claim on Superman and hoping to get their ownership back 
on that half of the estate. They previously reported that they had received, uh, they'd received their ownership from the Schuster. Um, so now they're going after Siegel. And the beat goes on. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that continuously. Alright. If we shift over to video games, still on DC. Alright. DC Online. Uh, Steel and Lex Luthor are now playable characters in the PvP version of the DC Online universe. So if you want to be the bad guy and you like Lex Luthor, now you have your chance. If you like Steel, which I don't understand how you could like that Shaq portrayed whatever. But I'll let that slide. Alright. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of Steel uh, since the original arc where he came back as Superman. If you look, if you're a fan of the game, if you're a fan of the characters, that might be, you know, that might be what you need to get you back into the game. And lastly, uh, in the video game front, Medal of Honor Warfighter has actually gotten some Navy SEALs in trouble. They were consulted on the making of this game, and apparently they were a bit too forthcoming with tactics that SEALs use in their, in how they uh, take down terrorists or breaching or whatever you know, they actually used in the game to make it as realistic as possible. Apparently it was too real for the U.S. government, and some Navy SEALs have gotten in trouble for uh, being consultants on the game. Richard Marcinko actually got in trouble for this as well with his autobiography, Rogue Warrior. Uh, they you know, were really upset that he revealed the tactics that the SEALs used at the time of the, the printing of that book. And Marcinko said, hey, look, they're going to find out about this stuff if they don't already know it anyways. We need to be developing new, different, better tactics all the time. This is just going to force us to have to do that. Now, whether you actually believe that or think it's a bullshit excuse, uh, it's what's going to have to happen now. So, All right. <laughs> uh, we got some internet news. And uh, over on YouTube, there is a new series. Uh, if you're familiar with the Machinima. Uh, network over on channel, yes, over on YouTube. She has tended to focus on video games and video game centric, where it's, uh, video games mash up, uh, tell stories using the games, uh, watching videos of what people play games, or reviews, how to's. They're actually shifting their focus a little bit. They've actually teamed up with the CFI network, the network formerly known as Sci-Fi, they actually show Sci-Fi, uh, and I was best known for the series Battlestar Galactica. Uh, they have they have commissioned a prequel uh, and they've done a pilot for Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, a prequel to the Battlestar Galactica series. They decided that they were going to air it and they didn't know what they were going to do with it. Although they teamed up with Mishima Prime to release Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome as a Series. So the first two issues came out on Friday, November 11th. So you can catch the first two episodes. And the third episode will actually be released on the day that this episode is on Friday the 16th of November. So if you're a Battlestar Galactic fan, check it out. If you are a sci-fi fan that looks for good sci-fi, I think this is maybe it's certainly going to be a high-action series. Um, I've watched the first two episodes, 
and I, I love what they've done overall. I, I do have some complaints, though. The first of them is shoot the fucking cinematographer. Or shoot the fucking editor with all the effects because there are too many fucking lens flares you can't see shit. And I'm, I'm tired of it. You know, J.J. Abrams used to be shot for it, too, because he loves putting lens flares in there. Lens flares are a bad thing. Alright? The idea when shooting something is not to have lens flares. And it has been that way since the beginning of cinematography up until Cool Hand Luke. And unless your name is Conrad Hall, you don't deserve to put lens flares in your shit. And he specifically did it because he was showing the harshness of the light and how that sun came down and was was painful on the characters in the movie, so he used that lens flare to make it painful on the audience. And I don't think that's what they're trying to do with Blood and Crime. I think they're trying to make it look a bit edgy. They're certainly trying to make it look, you know, put you in there and they're blowing out the colors and it's just horribly, horribly done with it. I'm sorry, I'm bitching about lens flares, but it almost made it unwatchable. Thankfully, they backed off of it a little bit as you got got through the very beginning. Uh, they had their own version of uh, the uh, test that everybody loves to talk about, Kirk passing. Um, in this case, it's actually Bill Adama, who's the main character in this. Bill Adama as a pilot uh, going off into the first Cylon War uh, before he became the captain of the Galactica. So it, it start, starts with him showing up as a, or actually finishing his training class as a rookie before, and him going off to his first uh, mission. And they, they actually have him taking his final exam. And uh, I, I think it ruins their intent by uh, telling you that it was a, just a test. But just watching it and seeing what he's doing, I'm going, oh, well, this is obviously a simulator, and yeah, I was right. So I I don't know that I may have ruined that very very beginning of the first episode for you, but I, I don't really feel like I was because it was too over the top and too Kobayashi Maru cheating to win. Except he, he it wasn't quite as overt cheating as they did in the first in, in the relaunch of Star Trek, but it certainly was. And one of those, okay, that's kind of defeating the purpose of why you're in the simulator. So, uh, but I, I also think they've kind of given him the two, that, that kind of character who's too gung ho to go into war. And, you know, they've got characters around him that are all going, you, you obviously don't know what war is, kid. But I think they made him a bit too gung ho to go into war, especially for the character that he eventually becomes. I, I understand, and I think that's going to be part of the arc of the character. At least over, it would have been over the series, if not over the, over this mini. Uh, and they will eventually be airing this on Sifi and then selling it on DVD for those of you that need to pick it up. But, uh, I highly recommend just going it to youtube.com, search for Battlestar Galactic Blood and Chrome, and, uh, checking it out. The first episode is approximately 12 minutes long. Second one is a about the same length, and the third one, I presume, will be somewhere in that same range. Okay. Uh, some other news that's come out as far as uh, movies go, and uh, we picked this up. Uh, Lock and Key is looking to be developed as a trilogy of movies from Universal Pictures. 
For those of you who have not seen, have not heard of the comic book Lock and Key, go get it from your comic book shop. The first one is Lock and Key Welcome to Lovecraft. It does not have anything to do with H.P. Lovecraft, other than it's got some creepy stuff going on. Uh, so, not actually related to H.P. Lovecraft. It's by uh, Stephen King's son, and uh, it looks like uh, Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi, who developed this as a TV pilot for, I think it was Fox, um, are now t- have taken it to Universal Pictures and are looking to do a trilogy. I've seen the trailer, the trailer for the Lock and Key, and you could probably do a search for it and find the trailer. The trailer for the TV show pilot looked good. I just don't know how it was going to be. Uh, Kurtzman and Orsi uh, did Hercules, the, the legendary journeys of the Kevin Sorbo series back in the day. The new Star Trek reboot, which had a horrible Kobayashi Maru sequence in it, at least I thought so. Others may not. Uh, they're also uh, responsible for Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which won them a Razzie for uh, more screenplay in 2009, and they they wrote uh, Cowboys and Aliens and the TV show Alias. So, yeah, I know a lot of people are fans of Hercules. It was a bit too B-movie for me. Um, I had fun with Cowboys and Aliens. I had fun with the original Transformers. I had fun with the original Star Trek. But Revenge of the Fallen was awful. And uh, Alias was actually uh, better than average, particularly for a sci-fi series on TV. Um, so, uh, I'm just scared of what that will be, especially as a trilogy developed by those people. I it, I love the original work, and I, I think Joe Hill has done an amazing job at the comics. Absolutely pick up the books. Um, again, the first one is Welcome to Lovecraft. That'll start you off. Um but I, it really does worry me with those two. It could, yeah, because they said they were writing Transformers because they knew the characters, they loved them, and they wanted to honor them. And I really felt Transformers was a train wreck as far as a movie goes based on Transformers. Now, if you say Michael Bay prevents, presents robots that change shape, I can have fun. And actually, that's what I went in expecting. And that's what I got. But it was by no means an actual Transformers Alright. Other good news. Game of Thrones, the TV series, the most downloaded TV show in history that was stolen and put on BitTorrent to be downloaded. Game of Thrones will be back in March on HBO. Maybe HBO will wise up and uh, allow us to just buy a web, web-enabled version so we can just watch it on the web at our own pace as soon as they're released, rather than forcing us to go through cable companies. They, they won't. They have contracts with cable companies. And they like those contracts because it lets them get money. But you know, be nice. Uh, maybe they make a deal with Netflix to show it to us as soon as the series ends instead of avoiding Netflix as well. But Game of Thrones, amazing series. The first two series seasons are out on DVD. Absolutely worth getting. Uh, so that'll be back in March. In uh, other movie news, Brian Singer is going to direct X-Men Days of Future Past. This is the sequel, or proposed sequel, to X-Men First Class, which was the prequel reboot of the X-Men franchise. I like this. Brian Singer did the original X-Men and the uh, X-Men, the second movie as well, X2. 
Uh, he directed both of those. He's done The Usual Suspects, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, he brought X-Men to the big screen at a time when nobody thought you could do a comic book movie. And he proved that you could do a comic book movie. It didn't have to be cheesy and corny and look bad. Um, he walked a very fine line to be able to create characters that we love and show them as the powerful creatures, uh, beings that we want them to be as X-Men, but still not scare off a mainstream audience. He did that wonderfully with X-Men. I think he's going to do great with Days of Future Past, Past, especially with what they've been doing to shore up the Marvel Universe behind the scenes and producing these movies. So I'm glad to see Brian Singer's doing that. Uh, let's see. A ah, little bit of uh, techie, new, tech geek news. Uh, the 2013 Tesla Model S Roadster, Model S, uh, not the Roadster, the Model S sedan, has been named the Motor Trend Car of the Year. And uh, this is uh, real big news because Tesla is the first electric car to ever be named Car of the Year. And uh, this is a... High-end luxury sedan. It's, so it's not for everybody. I believe it runs in the $60,000 range, but it is all electric. Um, it's the next evolution of Tesla. They originally came out with the Roadster, which was a $110,000 car. Uh, and they did that because they were hoping that the cost would offset the research and development that had to go into creating the car itself, the original cars, and then they would be able to take that high cost development, develop it a little bit further, but at much lower cost to create the road to get to create the Model S as a sedan, and they're going to use the costs of this to be able to create a they have a SUV in the works as well as a family sedan to compete with the Ford Taurus. Um, so they're using those high costs to defray the research and development and manufacturing costs that they'll be able to then use to create cheaper cars. Uh, so Tesla's doing some really innovative stuff. Unfortunately, uh, New York and Massachusetts sits, uh, car dealerships are actually suing Tesla, stating that they're uh, violating franchise law because Tesla is selling cars directly in those states instead of uh, through dealerships, which is part of a law. The franchise law says they cannot be sold by, cars can't be sold by the manufacturer. So that's kind of a black eye right in the middle of this uh, car of the year. Tesla does some amazing stuff. Uh, big touchscreen display in the middle center console. There's some really cool stuff. Head on over to Tesla Motors website and check them out because they they got some cool look. It's a cool looking car and it's all electric. It's potentially the future of the automobile industry. Um, I, I still not quite certain. Um, they I think hydrogen may be the way that they eventually go. But they still got a lot of kinks in that platform, and they haven't been developing it nearly as much. Electrical is certainly going to be a much easier step to get to. Um, and lastly, probably the biggest news of the past two weeks, Disney has bought Lucasfilms. For $4.05 billion, Disney bought Lucasfilms. Lucas is actually spending a, taking a good chunk of the money that he got from the sale and is donating it to charity because he's just that cool. You wouldn't know it from watching the first three movies, but he is that cool. Uh, he's stepped, he had already stepped away f from being the president of Lucasfilm, uh, bef uh, before the steal went through. Uh, so, 
but it does open a lot of doors. Uh, he's still involved with the company. Uh, this makes Leia Organa Solo a Disney princess now, so we get to put her up there with Belle and uh, Ariel, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, get your little princess Leia Organa Solo doll. Depending on uh, how far past the movies, because it could just be Leia Organa if you never saw read about their wedding. Um, as part of this announcement, they have announced that Episode Seven will be released in 2015, which means 2015 is going to be a monster of a year. Uh, my guess is they're probably going to shoot for May. That's when Lucas has traditionally released Star Wars movies. Uh, but you're, in 2015, you're also going to have Avengers Two. And the Justice League movie, so I am waiting for that summer. I think it's going to be an amazing year for movies. Uh, if everybody is able to pull their shit together. Uh, following episode 7 in 2015, they will be releasing episodes 8 and 9 approximately every two years, so possibly every three, possibly a three year gap like they had between all the prequels. Uh, so this has just brought up a whole lot of fun. Lucas has said he wasn't interested in doing any more Star Wars movies after all the bad fanboy press he got from the three previous ones. Uh, but now he's staying as a consultant. He's probably plotting out what's supposed to happen. And they've hired Michael Arndt. Uh, A-R-N-D-T. I guess that's Arndt. Uh, but he's the writer. He wrote Little Miss Sunshine and Toy Story 3. So, yeah, he definitely has the potential to write a real good story uh, with and if Lucas is continuing the journey of the wills, or sorry, the journal of the wills, the journal of the wills was the original story that he had written that was Star Wars. And it actually contained the story of Darth Vader all the way up through become from Anakin to Darth Vader of Luke through the end of Jedi and then seven, eight, and nine. He said he already had the ideas for what those stories were supposed to be. He just never actually written them out as part of, uh, but those were originally intended as part of the journal of the wills. Um, it was supposed to follow the Skywalker family. Uh, apparently, uh, we've actually had uh, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford said that they'd be interested in coming back if asked to for these episodes. And I think that the, those characters coming back reprising their roles at their current ages would actually be a decent way of doing it because the age is appropriate for the next story, if it's continuing the journal and telling the story of the next generation of Skywalker. So it was supposed to be the first three were Anakin generation, the next three were Luke's generation, and the last three are the generation after Luke. So, if they if they keep that up, then uh, it would make sense for Luke to come back. Um, it's got a, you know, the Alec Guinness role of mentor the Jedi that knows everything, you know. If you've read the expanded universe, the books, you know, that you may be, we may be seeing Mara J. They've already said it will not be here to the Empire. That will not be the story. Uh, but we may still be able to see characters like Mara J., the twins, uh, Han and Leia's twins, and their youngest son may or may not be in the story. Uh, this may be Luke reestablishing the Jedi temples. So th there's a lot of ground that they've already kind of touched on with the books that they could develop this with, uh, as well as what Lucas, just building off of what Lucas has said. I don't want to see them trying to tell another story with Luke as a young man, with Han 
and, and Leia back at the age they were at the end of Jedi or just a couple years older than that. I, I really want to see, you know, kind of take that jump forward as they kind of done with the 20 year gap between episode three and episode four, do another gap such as that where they could bring back, you know, Hamill at his current age, playing his current age. Or roughly his current age. I think that, that I think is where the story needs to go. That's my own two cents. For those of you that read Star Wars comics, they will be, may be staying with Star Wars comics over right now. Disney bought Marvel comics a couple of years ago. Uh, so, uh, they do have their own publishing house and eventually they did move their comics off of other publishers to Marvel. Uh, but right now, Dark Horse is going to maintain the contracts that they have with Star Wars to continue publishing those books. I suspect probably in two to three years, as contracts expire, they won't be renewed and DC will take over that stuff. But with buying Lucasfilm, Star Wars has been a big number right there, but they're also buying a number of other things, including Indiana Jones, which, yeah. Stewart has said he's on for, he's also said he's not going to direct Star Wars. Star Wars Episode 7. But he has said he's interested in another indie. Harrison Ford has said he's interested in another indie. And if they can get Lucas to just consult on the story and let somebody else write it, I think we may be in for a good a good Indiana Jones story. Uh, one of the things that's been said is they're just looking for a good MacGuffin for Indy to go after. And I think if they search hard enough, they'll be able to find something, whether it's... Uh, Camelot, you know, finding the actual location of Camelot, finding this, finding Excalibur, or even finding Atlantis. You know, those are just three random options for Indy to go looking for. All could be fun. Uh, so, I really would love to see another indie movie to wipe the slate clean of that uh, horrible uh, refrigerator moment and the other stuff. So they've got that. I believe this also includes the LucasArts games, uh, Monkey Island. So there's some, they have some game properties that could be really fun. And Disney has also said they want to develop some live, some live action stuff. They want to continue, of course, to do the Clone Wars TV show right now, but do more television with Star Wars. Uh, they've, Indy's also been on the small screen. They've had the uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which was a really good series. They can do something like that again, um, where they take Indy, you know, show how he grew up to be where he is, do, do another incarnation of that. So, um, there, there's other properties in here. Star Wars is just the biggest and the first one that they've made an announcement with. So, yeah, lots of stuff that we could be seeing coming from, uh, Disney and Lucas. For those of you that are worried that the mouse is going to ruin this, uh, Look at Marvel, what they're doing with their comics. The comics are still coming out. They're still strong. And I don't think you've seen much of an influence on their comics other than uh, we got to see some cross-gen comics come back out. I wish we get to see more of those come back out because Disney owns cross-gen. Uh, they bought them up when cross-gen went bankrupt. And Disney also uh, brought their comic, their characters under the Marvel umbrella for publishing. Those are the big changes. Yeah, Avengers 2, of course, was huge. Uh, Captain America and Thor were really good, and those came out, uh, although with minimal interference from Disney by the time that Disney bought Marvel. Uh, we're going to have Iron Man 3 coming out. 
which, you know, the, the early stuff looks good. Thor 2 is coming out. That stuff looks good. So it doesn't look like they've really screwed up with uh, Marvel and their purchase there. And they're leaving the people at Lucasfilm in place. Um, and really, after the first three episodes, I actually really do enjoy them. I think they were actually done really well. I think Lucas gets a lot of shit. And there's definitely mistakes that he made in them. You know, midichlorians, the undersea chase... Not having every Gungan talk like Jar Jar Binks. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop. Everybody's upset with his accent, but it's because he's the only one that sounded that way. If everybody had that sound, he couldn't be singled out as the dumb one sounds that way. It would be, that's how Gungans had an accent. Yeah. If everybody had that accent, it's racist people, he just happens to be the dumb one. Not the dumb one has the funny to make an accent. Which is what he's all about. So, yeah, I think you know, there, there definitely were mistakes that were made. I think he tied it in too closely to the original movies. We didn't need to see Chewbacca. Yeah. Yoda, okay, we were, we were told he was 900 years old, just seeing him like the council. Fine. Um, and, and to some extent, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan, we had to see. Um, I think the Trade Federation could have been fleshed out and done better. Uh, we certainly didn't need the pod race and some of the other events, and definitely could have got rid, rid of Metaphorians. So, you know, if you look back at, at how much we've bitched about what was wrong, you know, the idea behind, you know, a shadowy force using one, using the Federation to be able to manipulate the Senate so that you can gain power by creating a war, yeah, that was actually pretty brilliant. And just poorly executed. That's the stuff that I loved in the from those movies. Um, if, so if Lucas is able to give those ideas out, uh, then a good screenwriter will be able to translate them and create a good story from that. So that we don't have the, you know, trying to recreate the trench scene from episode four or the Endor Moon forest chase scene from episode six. Episode six. If you're not trying to recreate those, you're trying, like, which is what, which is all of the podcast was, pod race was, which is all that the underwater dragons that are chasing them were, then you can have a good movie. Don't need that stuff because it didn't make sense for the movie. Um, a lot of, a lot of good things come of this. And if you look at what Disney did with Pixar, uh, there's arguments that their movies haven't been quite as good, but Look at Toy Story 3 that came out under Disney. And, yeah, unfortunately, it's very hard to stay at the top of your game. And, you know, Disney did it for a long time. They've had a lot of... You look at the traditional animated features up until they, they kind of put that away for the digital stuff that they were doing with Pixar. And, you know, they had a good run with you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King and Mulan, those are all great animated movies, and it started to drop off. Some people might argue for Mulan, I think it's still a great movie, uh, and is, is right up there with those previous movies, but Pocahontas, Tarzan, they never had the impact, they, they weren't quite as good as those movies that had just come before before them. And I think that's just the natural, nobody's ever able to stay at top long enough. You look at Apple, and you know, people aren't as excited about the iPhone 5, as they were about the original iPhone. People aren't as excited about the iPad Mini like they were about the iPad or even the iPad with Retina. It's just hard to stay up there at the top for so long, so innovative. 
So I think Pixar was already, it's just following the natural curve of it. It still puts out good stuff. When you go see a Pixar movie, it's Pixar, so you know it's going to be good. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, but it's just a matter of, they, they can't quite always measure up to their previous yardage. Yeah. Everybody has, has, has that parabolic downslope at, at the end. Um, and with a, particularly with a company like Disney behind them, they'll have another upswing in a couple of years. That, that's what happens. So I'm really not worried about the, the health of the franchise. I think we're, it's actually going to take a healthy turn at this point. So if you disagree with me, you got your own points that you want to make, uh, I'll be happy to address those. We put out netcasts on the 1st and 16th of every month. So go ahead, send us an email at comicbooktesseract at gmail.com. Uh, you can get our contact information, actually our email, voicemail, Twitter, Google+, Facebook, our uh, website. Find all of that at about.me slash comicbooktesseract. We want to give a special thanks to Heroes Haven Comics. Uh, they're real good to us. Um, so uh, you can check out, they got a bunch of stuff for sale online, uh, heroeshavencomics.com. Uh, check out our website at thecomicbooknerd.com. Uh, they got some great news stories that they per- periodically put up there, um, as well as our netcasts. So uh, they're worth checking out. Uh, but all of this is available for you to get a hold of us. Um, let us know what you think uh, at about.me slash comicbooktesseract. So go ahead, uh, let us know. Uh, next issue will be coming out the first of the month. And we'll see you next time when we step inside the Tesseract. <laughs>